Hello, welcome to The Hook, a podcast for those of you who want to be the captain of your own pirate ship. I'm Jen, your host, coming to you live from Chicago, Illinois. And this will be a weekly podcast where we talk about things that are unique to being an independent contractor or a solo creator, or if you're looking to become one of those things. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. There's going to be a lot of information. And um, just a little bit about me. I am based in both Chicago and Atlanta. I am a social media manager as well as a director of marketing and technology for various companies around Atlanta and Chicago. So welcome. Let's get started. So I want to get started talking about why this podcast is different versus other podcasts out there. There are a lot of motivational podcasts out there. There's a lot of business podcasts out there. So why do you want to listen to The Hook? Well, first of all, I am all about value. I'm not trying to sell you something. I have a paycheck. Would it be great if I did make money on this podcast? Absolutely. But I trade in value. And I have to tell you, um, a lot of times with self-help or inspirational or motivational stuff, the idea is to confuse you in order to make money. Uh, The last business uh, conference I was at had somebody who was a leader in their industry and he was leading a course and the idea was to create confusion in the course so that you would sign up for private coaching after the class so it would make sense to you. I'm not about that. There are behavioral science studies that say that there are no steps for success. Basically, people decide that they're going to succeed when they are ready to. When you are ready to stop at nothing to get there, that's when you will have your success. You can ask for all of the magic bullets in the world. You can do all of the tips and tricks and, you know, seven secrets to this and that. But it really boils down to when you are ready to cross the threshold into doing the hard work, doing the research, and putting the time in to advance whatever your goals are. There's nothing I can say to you. There's nothing that Gary Vaynerchuk or um, Anthony Robbins, all of them, there's nothing they can say to you that's going to make it so that you have success other than your internal clock telling you it's time. So that's not what we're be about here. If you ever want to purchase ad space on this podcast, or if you want to hire me for something, that'd be great. That'd be a great offshoot. But that is not my goal here. My goal here is to have what I always wanted as a content creator um, is kind of a real world cheerleader, giving you real information that you can take and use in your business tomorrow. There are no secrets. There are no magic bullets for what I talk about. It's like the saying says, abs are made in the kitchen. Like you can't out-train a bad diet. If you want anything, you're going to have to do all of the work around something. So I'm going to share experiences and information that you can take out into the world tomorrow. And it all requires hard work, perseverance, and most of all, patience. So if you're willing to come along on that, come along with me. Let's do this. So a couple of years ago, actually, it's more like three years ago, I had made myself a two-year plan. Um, I don't know if you're at all like me. Most people who work for themselves are a lot like me. I'm very type A. I'm very step-by-step. I like a good plan. I like to write it down. And I'm not very flexible when the plan starts to happen. Well, 
I came into a season of my life where I had to become more flexible. And you can make the plan and then the plan presents itself. And that's kind of been a mantra for me for the last three years is that you have to be willing to be patient and be flexible and not so married to what's on paper. You also have to define what your objectives in life really are, which is why whenever I meet with someone that is self-employed or an independent contractor or a creator who is trying to grow their business or their status, I always ask them, what is your definition of success? Because when you are your own brand, you have to be okay with you before you can make it a brand. You can't go out and project something you're not into the world because it it won't transfer. People can spot fugazis a million miles away. You have to look within and be okay with you. I typically put people through um, an exercise where they define those points for themselves personally. And one of those things that I like to define with people is what is your actual definition of success? Because so many times when we make plans, we paint with a broad brush. We don't get down into specifics. We always say to ourselves, money. But what does that mean? What are you doing with that money? Is it money in the bank? Is it a a car? Is it the ability to not have to answer to anyone? Is it flexibility? Is it time? What is your definition of success? You have to identify it and you have to believe it yourself. Because once you identify it, it kind of hones in everything you're working towards. You are able to really define and go after objectives that are tangible rather than just going money because that's broad and that doesn't really focus you in the right way. It was around those three years ago that I had come out of a very dark time in my life and I have had tremendous wealth and I have had a lot of poverty, so to speak. I had come out of a time in my life where... I had spent an entire summer feeding my family dollar store hot dogs. Like that's how bad times were. And I was cobbling together all kinds of things. And I had spent the time eating the frogs, so to speak, or shit sandwiches, um, and growing something in a completely new space than I had been in before. And I was starting to get momentum and I was starting to create an income that was nice. But you have to define what those stages of success are for you. For me, because of that dark time in my life, I had decided that I would never, ever trade my independence for anything again, ever. And I had also decided that for me, success isn't the McMansion. It's not the fancy German automobile. It's not, I can't be anything but practical, Um, success for me is the ability to do anything I want when I want, um, the ability to not answer to anyone, have my independence and believe it or not, the ability to go to the grocery store and not have to keep a running tally in my head because I had spent those dark days doing that. I, I never wanted to go back to that. So to me, success three years later is doing exactly that. I am the captain of my own pirate ship. And people, some people from the outside looking in might look at my life and go, well, 
It's pretty mediocre, but that's on their value system. To me, I have the security and the freedom now that I didn't, that caused me to be in those times. And now that those times are never, ever going to be a reality for me again. I have worked hard to get here. And the fact that I can have that freedom is everything. Money doesn't necessarily make everything better, by the way. Mo money, mo problems. <laughs> so I like the fact that I have a very flexible career where I can do wherever I want. I can be present for whoever I want. I can take time off. That to me is more important than a couple more zeros in my bank account. Your value system is definitely different than my value system. Your value system might be those luxury items, might be all of the fancy pants stuff. That's great. That's your definition of success. So you really need to sit down with yourself before you do anything and ask really point blank tough questions. You have to get honest with yourself first because you are the thing that this business is being built on and you have to have a good foundation of where you're going or else that is going to be a house of cards that can blow over at any time. So before I ever start marketing plans or whatever, I always say get right with yourself. Get into your value system. What are your objectives in life? Where do you want to be five years from now? Where do you want to be 10 years from now? What do you want to achieve that will give you a feeling of safeness and security? People think that the, the, the flash will cure whatever is going on within you, but you really have to be okay with feast and famine for one, because you are the captain of the ship, um, you have to also be willing to look within and find your pain points, so to speak, where, you know, where, what's moving the needle. And because you can't even write a business plan, you can't even write a marketing plan until you know what the objectives are for you personally, what's going to keep you up at night, what's going to make you feel secure, what's going, what are the yeses, the no's and the deal breakers. So I always say get Get cozy with yourself. Brew a cup of tea, get a notebook, a tablet, whatever. Sit down and really map out where you are, where you're going, and where you want to be. And then be realistic about successes and failures. The great thing about failure is that it's your failure. It's not anybody else's failure. And you have to be willing to fail up. I think that um, I, I'm actually kind of a unicorn in this because <laughs> if anything, I fear success more than I fear failure. I have no problem with failing. Um, I have no problem with looking stupid. I have no problem with putting myself out there. Um, my anxiety comes from achieving. Like, the, the, okay, we're not going to Dr. Phil me on this show. But what I'm saying is, is that you have to become okay with not everything working. You have to also become okay with it taking time and being patient. Nothing really changes in your business life for at least 18 months when you first start out. Usually the statistics are for the first 18 months, you are going to be having to find a way around your objectives. You're either going to have to have that other job on the side to help finance things. You're either going to have to be the CEO and the janitor of your uh, mission. You're going to have to run an austerity program of some kind. 
you won't start to see real growth unless you're one of the lucky ones for 18 months. So you need to ask yourself, is this a commitment I can make to myself and this business for 18 months? It's okay to say no. It is 100% okay for you to go, you know what? I'm not willing to eat at the shit sandwich buffet for 18 months. It's just not my thing. Now, that's totally okay. I'm like that too. I, because of the ups and downs of my life, I have a very big thing for security. I don't like feast and famine. My father was a musician and there were times of extraordinary wealth and there were times he was digging ditches. So I don't like feast and famine. It's just not in my wheelhouse. I can't deal with it. It's, I like knowing that there's going to be a direct deposit every single Friday. (laughs) So I do a hybrid thing. I have my day jobs and then I do my content creation on the side and I'm an entrepreneur with the content creation like this podcast. So it gives me the best of both worlds. It still means that I have to look within and find out what I'm comfortable, what our deal breakers make treat podcasts like this as a business, but it also allows me to have breathing room and not the stress of running everything. Now, some of you feed on that and that's fantastic. You just have to be willing to know what the threshold is and write it down and map it out and really be honest with yourself. We lie to ourselves. Look, it's January. We are hungry. We are sore. We are probably doing dry January and it's stressful and we want to drink. Like, there's a lot going on in January. You're hyper motivated because this is going to be the best year ever. And the problem with that this time of year is that you're going to flame out by the end of February. That's why the gyms are a ghost town by March 1st. So this way you, you know, you're listening to this podcast probably because you're ready to like knock it out of the park. You want a banner year. But do you even know what that looks like? Do you even know what the hard work is going to be? Let's use your New Year's resolution as an example. We'll do a couple of them. Let's say this New Year's resolution you have this year is to lose 30 pounds. Well, that's going to hurt. There's no way to lose 30 pounds without it hurting. You are going to be hungry. You are going to be learning a whole new way to live. You are going to be giving up things that feel good. You are going to be spending some time in the gym. It is going to take a lot of commitment and pain until it becomes a new lifestyle and a habit. So they say a habit takes 21 days to form, right? So that first three weeks, we're, in, we're, in, we're coming into week three <laughs> of January. Those first three weeks suck. Like nobody, nobody's happy in January. That's why January feels like it's nine weeks long because we're starving and we're we're depriving ourselves and we just came off of the holidays and a lot of people make big changes in January. That's why the divorce rate is the hot spikes in January because you can't stand that person for one more year. Um, People get into relationships in January. Um, The second weekend of January is the highest uh, amount of online dating that happens throughout the year because people are not going to spend another holiday season alone. So we're all changing and moving, but we kind of romanticize that it's going to be quick. We don't quite realize that we're not going to gain traction on anything new until February, and then it's still going to be a building process. 
So you have to figure out how much pain you're going to put up with because anything you do is going to hurt for a minute. It's going to take away from something. If you decide that you are going to go all in on social media marketing this year, it is going to take time. It is going to suck. You are going to have to sit there and stare at your phone or your computer screen, coming up with content, writing blog posts, um, posting to Twitter, interacting with people. It is going to suck until it just becomes part of your routine and it becomes easier. But if you don't get real with how much it's going to hurt, you're going to get frustrated and flame out by February. Just like if you go hard at the gym and you can't move for three days, you're probably not going back. So really, I know I keep saying look within, look within, but you have to be honest with yourself because we lie to ourselves. I mean, we we see um, a picture of us from you know Christmas time and we're like, oh God, got to lose 30 pounds. And then we kid ourselves that it's going to be a long slog and a lot of work. Everything worth having is hard. So you just have to kind of embrace the suck learn to love it and, um, you know, commit to that before you do anything else. You have to decide what your thresholds are. So once you decide what your thresholds are, you, you've had a moment, you've had some tea, you, you've sat down with a notebook, you've looked within, you're like, okay, I'm ready. I'm willing and able to do this much and this much alone. Now we can start with writing a business plan and a marketing plan. Today, let's start with marketing plans because the business plan doesn't really go anywhere until you have the foundation of a marketing plan. So let's talk about marketing plans. Okay, so we hate marketing plans. Marketing plans are 25 pages of truth staring us in the face. Nobody likes to hear the truth about themselves. Nobody. Like I said about the Christmas pictures, we lie to ourselves. Every day you look in the mirror and you suck in your gut and you're just like, oh, that doesn't look so bad. I'm fine. I'm great. And then there's photographic evidence that you've got like more chins than brain cells and the truth is staring you in the face. And we all go, yikes, I actually look like that. Yeah, (laughs) you actually look like that. (laughs) And it's scientific because our minds are equipped to see the best of us in a mirror. And when we see ourselves as the world sees us, it's with a different set of eyes, truthfully. So the same thing happens in business. We kind of lie to ourselves as long as the lights are on and we're making payroll, right? As long as the bills are paid, we're good. Um, So the marketing plan is that moment where you are looking at everything with a fresh set of eyes. Um, we hate them. I hate them. I do them for a living and I hate them (laughs) because as someone that works in marketing, I have to look at my wins and my losses and you have to be willing to embrace the losses. You have to learn to fail. Okay. That didn't work. Instead of going, well, whatever, (laughs) you have to like examine why it didn't work. And a lot of times it didn't work because it's your fault. Uh, most of the time when I'm doing across any industry with lawyers, with uh, real estate agents, with um, uh, people with small businesses, hairstylists, content creators, it all starts with consistency. Consistency is the first thing that goes out the door because as human beings, we tend to go hard until something distracts us or we have a failure and then we flame out. 
and there's no there's no consistency there. Um, a lot of times in the summertime, especially when uh, some industries slow down, you maybe don't work every Friday, so everything you did on Friday doesn't happen anymore. So your social media is going down, etc. I don't need to explain consistency. It is the number one thing that people who work for themselves lack. So it's important to get consistent now, so that you give yourself wiggle room and things become not so hard in the future. So with a marketing plan, the reason you want to do a marketing plan, you have to do a marketing plan. Even if you never implement a single thing of that marketing plan, just going through the 20 some odd pages and identifying what worked last year, what didn't work last year, just the act of itemizing things, breaking them down into tangibles, examining everything, just that act paints it on your brain and it elevates your consciousness of what's really happening within you and your business. Now remember, it's different for you because you are your business. You are your brand. So it's important that everything is aligning in perfect homeostasis so that you can actually do something with it. Um, You have to do them because even just writing it down improves your chances of having a better year 400% versus you not doing anything. So, and again, it's that whole paper to brain or screen to brain thing where you acknowledge it. Uh, We love Dr. Phil around here. You can't change anything you don't acknowledge. If you don't change it, you choose it. So it's important to have... um, have those moments, those couple of hours where you go through the marketing plan and you definitely identify things. Um, One of the biggest challenges is that, again, we paint, we lie to ourselves and we paint with a broad brush. Um, We don't give ourselves specifics. We just kind of say money, more free time, Yay. We don't break down like what does that actually look like? I can ask any one of you out of a sample of 10 and maybe two people know what their marketing budget is week to week, month to month. Um, Because a lot of times you get into the cycle when you work for yourself that you are um, working to pay for marketing instead of marketing paying for work. And it's kind of a, it's a bad catch-up place to be in. So that's where, why we, we have to break it down. We have to kind of look at the behaviors that are happening and causing the failures. Sometimes failure is just out of your control, but you can always do something different. And you also want to celebrate the successes. I think that we don't celebrate success enough. So it's hard to, in, uh, in a business sense, Uh, when something works, we kind of take it for granted. We kind of hyper-focus on the failures instead of taking, um, it's kind of like when you put something out there and 20 people tell you it's fantastic and one person tells you it's hot steaming garbage and all you can think about for the rest of the day 
is that one person telling you it's hot, stinking garbage. Never mind 20 people told you it was fantastic. It's that one person that is in your brain taking up space. So it's important with the marketing plan that you celebrate those successes as well. Everybody has high points of the year. It's part of the human condition. (laughs) Everybody has low points of the year. So really, a marketing plan allows you to sit down and celebrate those. And and what, what did you do with that great deal? Like, why was that deal a great deal? Was it... And let me tell you, all successes have the right kind of luck with them too. It's not 100% work. But you did 90% of the work. What did you do to make that a good deal? Were you in a motivated state of mind where you were hypervigilant and covering all of the bases and having an extreme attention to detail? Did you go the extra mile? Is that why it was a good deal? Was it because you had done your research and you knew who your client was and you were able to give them something nobody else can give them? Was your social media content on point and you were really dedicated to having an editorial calendar and really working it? Were you networking? Was this a referral? You need to look at all of those variables and you need to identify them because it didn't happen on accident. Sure, there was a little luck involved because you had the right person at the right place at the right time, but none of it was an accident. It's something you can capitalize on in the future rather than take it for granted. The goal of the marketing plan is to identify the who what, when, where, why, and how. You have to know who you're marketing to, what you're marketing. A lot of people, again, we get into the abstracts. Who, who are your customers? The number one thing I find when I'm doing a marketing plan with someone is they don't know who their clients are. They haven't figured out who they're selling to. Because it's just like, well, people, customers, It's like, no, who are you and who is your customer? Tell me who your customer is. And with some thought, you can figure out who your customer is. I'll give you an example of this. Um, One of my social media gigs is with a very popular personal injury law firm in Atlanta. And when I took over the social media aspect of the business, it was very general. We do these parts of law, we do this parts of law, blah, 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 blah. So when you're marketing something such as car accidents, who is the person who is calling an attorney after a car accident? Who is that client? Are we doing this for fender benders? Are these more serious accidents? Does it happen more in urban areas or rural areas, suburban areas? What demographic, um, do you target people in this demographic or that demographic? You have to go through your data and find out who your customer is, who is picking up the phone and calling you for what you provide. If you are a creative or a content creator, you have to figure out who your audience is or else your voice is just all over the place. Um, If you are a musician or a writer, you need to figure out who you're targeting in all of your um, networking outreach. If you are playing in a thrash metal band, you are probably not um, spending time dealing with the classical music group. Uh, That's a very simple, you know, you you, want to identify, well, who's a thrash metal uh, fan? 
typically, traditionally. Of course, there's unicorns all over the place who don't fit your mold, but as long as you have a template, a profile of who your client is, it makes things so much easier because you're not spinning your wheels trying to be all things to all people. Um, if you are a real estate agent, you typically work in one zip code. Well, who lives in that zip code? What are their values? What are they looking for? Who moves to that zip code? Who's leaving that zip code? Um, identify. Like, uh, for example, I live in Naperville, Illinois, and there's Naperville is very, very diverse. There are all kinds of neighborhoods in, in Naperville. If we take my neighborhood in Naperville, um, my neighborhood is mostly established families with older children. People are there for the commuting. Uh, the, we have a train that goes into the city. Uh, people are there for the um, beautiful downtown area. The school districts are the, some of the best in the state. And the convenience factor. Who's moving to Naperville are people that have been in my neighborhood, so to speak, that have been in their careers for 10 years, that are um, not looking to move in the next five years, um, looking for more space. Um, and they're typically commuters. They typically work in the city or they work around the area. Um, and they have older children. Older children meaning um, middle elementary school and up. They're moving in from starter communities such as Plainfield, Bolingbrook, Hanover Park. They're moving up in the world, so to speak. Who's leaving Naperville? Uh, older people who have empty nests and don't want to deal with the taxes. Um, people who are uh, looking for more space, more land. Those are the people who are leaving Naperville in my neighborhood. Uh, so you have to identify who is coming and going and why they're going to stop with you. If you are running, uh, for instance, a small shop, let's say vacuum sales. I'm thinking of my neighborhood and there's a vacuum repair shop <laughs> right there. So, of course, the vacuums. So who's buying vacuums in Naperville? You know, what are they buying? Are they, well, I would think that they're trying to find a Dyson that doesn't cost $500. So your niche is to be fixing Dyson vacuums and selling them for $200. So, you know, that's, that's how business works. It's, identifying your customer is number one. You have to know who you are marketing to in the first place. And it makes your life so much easier because you're not trying to cast a wide net. You have, you know, and hope to catch a fish. You know exactly where the good fishing is at that point. You also need to know what you are bringing to the table. So in the what category of your marketing plan, what am I bringing to the table? What is my competition doing? What does, what does my competition do better than I do? What do I do better than my competition? You need to start, you know, like honing in on those what's. What do my prospective clients look for in what I have to offer? What, so asking the what's are very important in a marketing plan. Actually quite essential. You also need to do the when. When is there's a sales cycle in everything, even when it comes to writing romance novels, there's a sales cycle. Once you have your client dialed in, you have to figure out what their sales cycle is. I'm not even kidding. In romance books, it's a every two weeks sales cycle because your typical reader of romance fiction, like traditional Harlequin romance, 
goes through a book every one to two weeks. So they are looking for new product every two weeks. And that is a good you know, cycle to have. Who's reading Harlequin no- Romance? We know it's typically females age 30 and up. So you know who you're marketing to. Now, where is tricky? Because where means a lot of things. Again, getting back to real estate, where, you know your zip code. But where are also what your channels are? Where are you putting your effort into marketing? If you are the vacuum shop on the corner, you, your marketing channels are very, very different than the Harlequin romance novelist. Um, but you need to know where your, your channels are going. Um, I would have more traditional marketing for the vacuum repair shop, more of a Facebook presence versus the novelist. I would have more on Twitter, uh, doing Q&As on Goodreads, etc. So there's different channels, but you have to figure out where you're marketing. It would make no sense to do terrestrial radio or um, television for either one of those. And in most people, it makes no sense to do terrestrial marketing uh, over the radio or TV. But maybe a billboard on a busy intersection makes sense. Maybe uh, sponsoring a little league team, uh, you know, various social media channels that are really good for your niche marketing. You have to figure out where. Where are those sales channels coming from? And that's easy to identify when you identify your client. So with the Harlequin novelist, the romance novelist, their channels, we've decided their client are women over age 30 they would probably do gangbusters on Facebook because 70% of adults are on Facebook and Facebook skews older than Instagram. Um, 70% of people are also on Instagram, but when you're talking the kind of marketing a novelist of a niche genre would be looking for, there's ways to make it both work. But Facebook would be one of the main channels I would suggest. You also need to figure out the why. Why am I doing this? (laughs) I don't mean to give you an existential crisis, but you have to figure out the why. Why are, why, why these channels? And you need to attach value to them. So I, you know, the, the novelist, why Facebook and Instagram? Why, why am, and Twitter? Why are those my three social channels? Well, because you deal in the written word for one. Facebook gives you a way of marrying text and photos with links to your work that Instagram does not give you. Instagram gives you a nice visual piece. So if you want to find a piece of art or a photo that speaks to a particular scene in the book, you can give a little uh, snippet of the scene and with the beautiful art, and then you can direct people to the link in your profile to your author page. Um, Twitter, you deal in the written word. Twitter's all written word. This is how you can um, find community, you know, whatever. So you need to know why. Well, why don't I just do YouTube? Well, because you're writing, you're, you're dealing in the written word. Um, YouTube would be great if you wanted to um, do Q&As with people or if you had content to put out there, but it wouldn't be your main channel. It would be a supplementary channel. And then how? How am I going to make all of this work? Before you get into the how stage of things, this is where honesty comes in. You have to really think about what your marketing budget is. And the marketing budget needs to be 
a number that is what you can afford in times of famine. So uh, I'm the vacuum repair store. I know that when business is great, right around the springtime for spring cleaning, um, I can afford $100 a week in uh, marketing across various channels. Uh, Right around the holidays when business is slow, I know I can only handle $50 a week in marketing. So I, as your marketing professional, would tell you only only count on $50, $50 a week for this year because that way you're going to have, wait for it, consistency in your channels. Um, because the worst thing you can do is have your marketing reflect your own feast and famine. You want a consistent presence. Even if for you creators out there, you might only have $5 a week to spend on marketing, $5 a week to promote a Facebook post. That's fine. Keep that number. In times of great success, you can put more money behind it, but at least you know that for $5 a week, you can promote your work consistently. So when you get to the how, um, really be honest of how, because every business or every, you know, Every person in business has a low point of the year. Identify it and what, how much money uh, can you spend. And that should be your marketing budget. The other thing about how is to really be honest with yourself about your time commitment to your marketing plan. If you have no interest in it, you're not going to do it. If you have no interest in learning the science of marketing, if you have no interest in being an active participant in your marketing, that's okay. That's why people like me have jobs. Uh, But you have to be honest with yourself at that point saying, okay, well, I don't want to do it. So you're either going to have to find an intern to do it, or you're going to have to hire someone part-time, or you're going to have to find a way around it if you don't want to do it yourself. And then the, uh, the other side of that coin is that you're too excited and you feel like you're going to take on the world. And yes, I'm going to write four blogs a day. We all get excited. We all take on too much. This is when you have to look at the famine part of it again. How much content am I going to put out when I am not feeling well? That's your baseline. How much content am I going to put out into the world after a bad day? There's your baseline. So if that really means one uh, piece of original Facebook content a week, and one boosted Facebook post a week, that's where you're working. And there's room to go up. But again, consistency. What are you going to do when you have the flu? What are you going to do when you're hungover on Monday morning? That's your baseline. You shouldn't be hungover on Monday morning. I don't know what I'm talking about. Nobody is, right? We're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. So more to the fact is that when you work for yourself, you have the freedom and the flexibility. So what are you going to do on a beautiful June day when you want to dip out of the office and go have fun? That's your baseline. Like I said, don't let your marketing reflect your feast and famine. Okay. So um, the other thing a marketing plan really does, it identifies your tangibles and your specifics. Like I said, it, it really kind of takes you out of painting with a broad brush. Everybody's going to answer, I want to make more money and have more free time every single year. Well, what does that look like? You have to itemize it. It also makes your goals much more manageable. 
Um, let's take a New Year's resolution of quitting smoking, okay? There are some people who can go cold turkey. God bless them. There are some people who have to break that off into manageable goals because you'll think you can do cold turkey and then you can't make it to 4 o'clock because you didn't take into account that sitting in traffic is one of your big triggers for having a cigarette. So it would be great to break down that goal. So your goal for the first week of not smoking is to um, use uh, cessation aids like a patch or gum or a lozenge to get you to smoke half. And then from there, week two, we smoke two less than half a day. And then week three, you, you see what I'm saying? You just kind of build on that rather than just saying, I'm a smoke smoking. Okay, well, what does that look like? You know you better than you. You know that if you go cold turkey and somebody stresses you out and you're sitting in traffic, you're going to want to light up. And then you're just going to hate. There's going to be so much self-loathing because you failed involved that you just say, well, screw it. I'll quit next year or I'll quit tomorrow. We all do it. So this way you break down your goals. And when you break down your goals, you allow for a little bit of failure. You know, you're like, oh, well, if I have one more when I'm, you know, I'm going out Friday with my friends and I always have to have a cigarette with my first beer. Okay, I'm going to allow that to happen. But for the rest of the night, I'm going to use the patches, the gum. And so it's just going to be the one with the beer. That's a half failure, but you're, you're accommodating it. And no matter what, you're going to keep going. Like that's, that's why breaking down your goals into tangibles is so, so useful. So that is basically my, uh, you know, homily <laughs> after I preach the importance of marketing plans. They are so important. They are so boring. They are so dry. And they make you feel terrible about yourself because you have to tell yourself the truth that you blew off work too much in the summertime and that's why you had a bad Q4. But as long as you just fill it out, you are identifying the good and the bad and you, you on a subconscious level will improve. If you want a marketing template, I do have them available in PDF form. All you have to do is email me at tech at bigbrokers.com and I'm happy to send one along for you. Okay, let's close out the show today talking about uh, 2020 marketing trends. Forbes puts out their list every year of the top 15 marketing trends going into the new year. Um, I'm not going to read all 15 of them <laughs> because some of them are kind of niche and um, you can go to Forbes.com and read them yourself. You have the same Google I do. So let, I did see a couple that I really wanted to uh, highlight and talk about on the podcast. So the first one is conversational marketing. That is going to be a huge thing going into 2020. We kind of already saw it in the last couple of years. Um, it's going to be a way of conversing with your clients or your potential clients in real time, utilizing things like Facebook Live, Instagram Live, using the stories feature on both platforms, um, being available for FaceTime one-on-ones. It's going to be more of a day-in-the-life type uh, feel more than show-and-tell. So making yourself, it's more about accessibility than anything. So if you are in your element, your day-to-day, 
taking your potential clients along with you on those day-to-days is going to become valuable as time goes on, especially as the paradigm shift as far as who the consumers really are in the marketplace. We're seeing the um, middle millennials starting to come up. The elder millennials have been in the game. So the, the millennials that are like 35-ish to 37, 38-ish, uh, they're, you know, they're coming up. Next year, in 2021, the elder millennials start turning 40, and that will be a huge switch. We're also seeing that Generation Z is going to be even harder to market to uh, than millennials were. Millennials really identified with influencer marketing because millennials have to have an emotional attachment to something. They are savvy. They research. They will touch 11 pieces of material before they make a decision. Whereas Gen X uh, is much more about information and baby boomers tend to be tire kickers. So Gen Z is really kind of immune to marketing right now. Gen Z, if you're thinking of Gen Z, those are your Visco girls. Those are... um, Kids that are not influenced by mass marketing, they are influenced within their peer group, which is normal for that age. Usually adolescents are only influenced by their peer group, but you'll see that they are pulling in things from the past. The 90s are really back in a big way because they like that isolationism. So conversational marketing right now is going to be about talking on an intimate level with your, your um, potential clients. The other thing that stood out to me on this list is that voice search optimization is going to become an even bigger thing. I'm not going to use the hey name, hey you, because I don't want to set off your devices. But more and more people have Amazon uh, Echoes, have Siri on their phones, have Google Home. And that has become our search engine. Um, I can tell you guys in my family, nobody picks up their phone and Googles something until um, what's-her-name has been asked. So (laughs) that is important because when people are searching for vacuum repair stores, I'm stuck on the vacuum thing this week. Maybe next week I'll be in like roller rinks or something. Um... Somebody is going to be like, hey, where is a vacuum repair store in Naperville, Illinois? You want to be able to be found on those voiceover optimizations. So I find that to be really, really important going into 2020 is making sure that you come up on those devices, which means that you need to have your SEO around your business name or your name locked in. You need to make sure that you come up page one, and um, if you're not, taking the steps to make sure all of your profiles are filled out, that you do have a Google business entity, etc. The next thing I uh, found rather uh, surprising, but not, was that more direct communication is going to become, uh, you know, the thing again. So we went through a period of time 
uh, in the last five years where people really went away from traditional marketing of the early aughts. So what we did in the early aughts was a lot of text message marketing and a lot of email newsletters. People got away from that because social media became so big and where people are getting their information. However, the sales cycle is completely different now because of the buying power of millennials. Millennials are running the marketplace because they cover 20 years of people and their economic outlook is completely different just from uh, the generation before them, Generation X. So people 40 and over have a completely different reality than people 40 and younger in our economy. So I'm 40. Hey, let's talk about it. So in, you know, in my generation, you could purchase your first home in your 20s. Uh, you left college with, with some debt, not a huge amount of debt, but some, and you were able to make money right out of school, a livable wage. So we didn't have the income inequality at, in our 20s that the, the millennials are facing now. And the millennials are leaving college with tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. They are not typically making a a living wage right out of school until they're in their industry for five plus years. They're not able to be consumers at the level of Generation X and baby boomers. So as a result, this is where we're seeing influencer culture come up. Uh, We're also seeing that in order to strike a balance you have to market to the older generations just as much as the younger generations because millennials are getting their nest eggs from their parents and grandparents. So if you think about it, if a millennial, uh, an older millennial family, let's say 35, if they're buying a house, a lot of times they're buying that house with some nest egg money from older relatives. So it's important to get their buy-in on large ticket items because they are subsidizing the incomes of that generation. So we're going to see a lot of embracing older techniques. I, I don't think it's going to be direct mail or anything that arcane, but I think we're going to see a lot more blogging a lot because again, we need to have a connection. So we're going to have a lot more, but we need to have a connection in things that Um, the older generations understand. The older generations, um, we're talking older Gen X, young boomers, anyone over 50 is really tech averse. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that they are the last of the Mohicans, so to speak, of generations that didn't grow up with technology uh, turning over as quickly as it turned over for Generation X and down. Generation X uh, has a little bit of that respect for the written word, so to speak, and deals in paper. I mean, I'm one of them (laughs) and and, and can kind of be that hybrid because the technology started to um, leaps and bounds exponentially turn over when we were in our late teens and early 20s. And then since then, generations have been born into it. So it's really hard for those over 50 who really didn't get their first personal computer until they were in their 30s uh, to, it's still a foreign language. So as as the buying power and the marketplace shifts, 
we have to kind of take a step back and include them at a level they are comfortable with. And that would be text messaging and email. Another thing I thought was, was interesting on the list was that there is going to be more demand for Facebook ads in 2020. I hate that. Facebook is a garbage platform. <laughs> However, uh, it is the most powerful platform right now. Again, 70% of your consumers are on Facebook. 70% of adults are on Facebook. The only thing that changes across platforms is that we don't have a, a, a representation of 18 to 24 year olds on Facebook. They don't use it. They call it old people book. So that demographic you lose on Facebook, uh, but you also get the boomers on Facebook because Facebook is understood by them now. Facebook's been around for uh, 10 years at the consumer level. So it's, it's comfortable for people over 50. Instagram you get more 18 to 24 year olds and you lose the people over 50 on Instagram, even though it still remains 70%. So that is the difference between Facebook and Instagram. Facebook, you get the 15 over Instagram, you get the 18 to 24. It's a trade off. But the great thing with Facebook ads is that it just $5 on a post increases your visibility within your demographic tenfold. And it breaks the algorithm. I'll do a, a podcast on Facebook sometime. There's not enough time to get into it right now, um, but they still have Facebook still has the consumer power in the marketplace. There hasn't been a platform, not even Instagram, that can meet it uh, because it is, like I said, it's a way to share information and links and things like that in a very um, easy way for the consumers. Uh, that are using Facebook, which are your uh, older millennials and up. And finally, the uh, we were talking about this. Um, the marketing silos are breaking. And what a marketing silo is, is that you have one, you have your digital, you have your traditional, and etc. So these they exist in silos. They don't typically bleed into each other. But like I said, because the landscape of consumerism is changing and has been changing over the last five years and will continue to change, especially when the millennials turn 40, we're going to see a huge shift in the marketplace. Um, these silos are breaking. Um, a lot of print, you'll see it in the newspapers. It's a perfect example that there's still value in a newspaper but the digital side of news is, is keeping up. And then the television, they're all starting to, they need each other. They need each other. They need social media, but they also need the physical product. So you're going to see the silos breaking in 2020. I think we've already started to see that. So those are the highlighted trends of Forbes uh, 15 marketing trends for 2020. And um, I don't know, look it up. There, there's going to be a lot. Um, I do want to talk about uh, TikTok. TikTok is, you're probably seeing TikTok everywhere. You're, like, you're probably asking yourself, do I need to get on TikTok? Um, I, 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 my, first, my first instinct is to say TikTok, is, um, TikTok has a brilliant marketing strategy because one of the kings of marketing owns it. Gary Vaynerchuk owns a stake in TikTok and because he is one of the, leaders in the marketing world, he is able to say you need this because it benefits them. 
<laughs> so beware of that. That you have, you have typically when you see something in the industry being pushed, it's being pushed by someone that it's benefiting from it. TikTok is a Gen Z thing. It's it's for those of you who don't know what it is, it's an app that you could do music and it's short form video. It's very much like Vine of five years ago. Um, I will caution that if you decide that TikTok is something you want to pursue to really have a well thought out editorial calendar for TikTok, because what I'm noticing is that people just trying to freelance TikTok that are over the age of 18 come off as creepy and weird and bizarre. (laughs) So you really have to have a vision. I saw a great TikTok video from a family physician who um, promoted the use of vaccines in a TikTok video. It was brilliant. So you really have to have a clear vision, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and don't make a fool out of yourself for 15 seconds. (laughs) You don't want to be the creepy weird guy on TikTok. But if you can find a hook like this This podcast is called The Hook because all marketing is is using psychology to get the hook. You know, um, I always bring up Paul McCartney. I'm a huge Beatles fan. The Beatles were not great musicians. They weren't particularly great songwriters or composers. But Paul McCartney could write a hook. Same thing with Taylor Swift. Same thing. Many better vocalists and musicians and songwriters than her, but she can write a hook. That's why we call this podcast The Hook. So if you can find a hook on TikTok that works, like that physician that was, you know, using uh, lighthearted comedy and dance to highlight the uh, importance of vaccines, you can find a place on TikTok. Just don't freelance it if you don't know what you're doing because you're just going to look weird, which could be good. I mean, any attention is good attention, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) But don't, don't let that hold you back either. Like Just like this podcast, the first couple are going to be a little rough, as I always believe in execution before polish. So if you want to try it, try it. But just make sure that you have like a cohesive idea. If you, it's just you staring in the phone for 20 seconds while music plays, that's weird. So <laughs> unless weird do your thing. But um, TikTok is... is I think right now just going to be a fun app. Again, this is anything run by Gen Z is very anti-consumerism. They like to keep it to themselves. You don't see them a lot on social media like Instagram, etc., because they are very they don't like being having their value held in likes. That's why the girls have gone to Visco uh, because they don't do likes on pictures. Uh, they like to keep it very organic. And um, there's Gen Z has a completely different value system. So that is uh, one other thing that really stood out to me um, in that list. So, all right. Well, this is it for the first episode of the Hook Podcast. I appreciate you guys uh, listening. And so the greatest way to promote a podcast is for you to like and review uh, so give me two stars if you if I stink, give me five if I'm great, leave a review, share it, tell your friends, have them tell their friends, etc. So I will see you guys next Monday. Take care. <laughs>